as we start this new sermon series, I want to just jump right into the Word of God. So grab your Bibles, if you don't mind. I want you to open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. You have it on your phone, you have a physical copy, whatever you got, grab it. If you're not that familiar with the Bible, that's okay. I just want you to know there's an Old Testament, a New Testament. We're going to be in the New Testament, the fourth book, the fourth gospel. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to find, flip over to you find chapter 10. Now, while you're looking for John chapter 10, I, I, want, to, I want to set it up for, uh, for the, the reason why we're starting the sermon a little bit earlier and digging right into the Word of God. I have a burden right now. I have a fear right now. My fear is that there are many of you who are here, and you are selling yourself far too short. There are many of you, and you don't realize how much you're worth. And because you don't know how much you're worth, you let yourself be mistreated. You let people treat you far below what you deserve because you just don't realize what you're worth. And until you recognize what you're worth, you'll keep on letting people mistreat you. So I have five daughters. Now, any of you out here have daughters? Raise your hand if you're, uh, you have daughters. Okay. Uh, any of you have five? Not many. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, some of you, some of you may have more, but I've learned something through parenting five daughters. It's that I have to treat them how they're supposed to be treated. I have a responsibility. I want them to know how they're treated, how they're supposed to be treated, so that some scuzz bucket in the future doesn't come up and try to mistreat them. I want them to recognize right and wrong. So, so here's what I do with my five daughters. I always open the door for my five daughters. We're, we're, anyone, we're walking into a building. They're, they're going to stand. They're going to wait because I'm going to open the door for them. In fact, I'll bark at them if they try to grab the door. I don't do it because I want to be controlling. I want to do it because I want them to show they're supposed to be respected this way. When, when we go out for lunch or dinner, every once in a while, I'll take them out on a one-on-one date and I always make sure we get in the car. I'm going to open the car door for them close it. Well, I'm going to drive. I'm going to pull out the chair for them. They sit down. I'm going to put it back in. I'm going to, I'm going to dress up a little nicer. I'm going to pay a lot of attention. I'm going, to have, I'm going to pay for the meal, and I'm going to do everything I can because I want them to know if there's some punk who treats them differently, not to give them the time of day. When, when we walk down the parking lot, I'm going to position myself in between my daughters in traffic to show them a man is supposed to protect them, watch over them. If there's something heavy, I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to carry it for them because I, I want them to know my job is to provide and care for them. So I do it on and on and on and on for one reason. I want them to demand that a man who comes in their life treats them that way. And I want them to see that jerk doesn't have any, any time of my life if he does not treat me this way. And yeah, some of you fathers out there, you need to be taking notes right now. This is how you do it. And we do it. Because our daughters are worth that. We know what they're worth. They're our daughters. But here's the problem. There are some of you, male or female, doesn't matter, and you didn't grow up with that kind of environment, and so you don't know that's the way you're supposed to be treated. There are some of you who had terrible parents. Let me just be honest. Maybe they had terrible parents, so they didn't have any kind of example, and so when they were supposed to be caring for you, watching out for you, they harmed you. and hurt. Maybe there was abuse Maybe they abandoned you, whatever, and so you've just kind of been mistreated your whole life. And that's affected your relationships. Maybe you've gone from toxic relationship to toxic relationship because you don't know any better, and you start to assume maybe that's just the way I'm supposed to be treated. You have a boss at work, and he demands more and more, but he takes all the credit, doesn't show any life, doesn't care for you, and you're just going, well, I guess all bosses are like this. It's just the way it's supposed to be. And you've been mistreated for so long, it's the air you breathe. 
I don't know if you've ever done this before, but have you, those of us who live in the city, have you ever gone out to the country? When you go out to the country, you go, oh, that's what air is supposed to smell like. Oh, man. You don't even realize the toxicity of the pollution until you get out to where it's not there, and all of a sudden you realize this is the way it's supposed to be. So some of us are so surrounded by toxicity and pollution that we don't know there's something better out there. Let me tell you, Jesus has more for you than that. He wants you to experience something called abundant life, fresh air, where you're treated the way you deserve to be treated. You have a worth that's greater than you realize, and he wants you to understand that. And the number one way you understand it is by recognizing what it means for Jesus to be your good shepherd. When Jesus steps up as a good shepherd, he's saying, a daddy to a daughter, this is how I want you to be treated, the way I treat you. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus as the good shepherd, and we're going to learn how we're supposed to be treated so that we would demand to be treated this way because this is what we're worth. We start right into the passage in verse 1. So John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, now, I want to pause there. So Jesus is using a figure of speech. He's telling a story. He's trying to describe what's taking place. And what he's saying is pretty profound. He says, there are certain people that climb over the walls into the sheep field. And he says, those people are thieves and robbers. They're dangerous. Now, let me tell you what he's saying. He's saying, not everybody who's close to you is good for you. These, these people are in the sheepfold, and they're dangerous. Not everybody who's close to you is good for you. There are people who can harm you. There are thieves and robbers in your life. Now, what's so interesting is who Jesus is referring to right here when he speaks about thieves and robbers. He's actually talking about the Pharisees. He's talking about the religious leaders of his day, the very people who are supposed to be the shepherds of the sheep of Israel. These are the thieves and robbers. That's why he says they've climbed over the wall. The reason I know this is because chapter 10 comes on the heels of chapter 9. Now, I'm not going to go reread chapter 9 for you, but if you would, wouldn't mind, let me, let me explain to you what took place in chapter 9 of, of the Gospel of John. It's a pretty fascinating story. There's a, a guy who was born blind, been blind his whole life. And then Jesus walks up to him, heals him from his blindness. And this guy didn't see who healed him. And he's walking around trying to find out who healed him, runs into the Pharisees. And the, the, he finds out it was Jesus who healed him. And now he's, the Pharisees are, are questioning him, interrogating him. And he's going, they're, they're going, listen, Jesus didn't heal you. You probably weren't born blind. Come on, tell us the truth. What really happened? And this guy goes, no, I promise, I was blind my whole life. Jesus, he healed me. And then he goes, do you want to follow him too? And those Pharisees go, get out of here. You're a sinner. You were born from sin. That's all you ever be. And they cast him out. He had done nothing wrong. And here are these Pharisees, these religious leaders who are supposed to shepherd the sheep and care for them, and they're kicking this guy out because they don't believe in Jesus. Then Jesus comes back later on, and he calls out the Pharisees. And he, they say to Jesus, the Pharisees, well, are you saying we're blind too? And Jesus is actually, it would have been better if you were blind because you wouldn't have guilt. But because you can see, because you know what's right and you still mistreat the sheep, that means you're guilty. So he's calling out the Pharisees. And right on the heels of that comes John chapter 10, verse 1. 
He's talking to the same group of people with those same Pharisees, and he says, watch out for those thieves and robbers. They climb over the fence and come in, and they're here to destroy you. Now, here's what's so intriguing about this. Not a single Jew, when Jesus was talking in that moment, would have thought that the Pharisees were bad people. They looked at the Pharisees as the pinnacle of Judaism. These are the people who were dedicated, knew the word of God. These were the spiritual leaders. These were the ones who were caring for us, protecting us, guiding us in the truth. They never would have thought that these Pharisees were out to harm them. Jesus has to show them what they can't see. But there's another passage of Scripture. I'm not going to read this either. In a couple of weeks, we'll get to this passage of Scripture. It's Matthew chapter 9. And in Matthew 9, at the very end of it, it says that Jesus looks out over the crowds. And he's looking out over a bunch of Jews. And he says, he looks out over the crowds and he has compassion because he sees that they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, again, if, if you had asked, if you had polled any one of those, those people, those crowds, and said, hey, are you harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Every one of them going, no, 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 we're good. I mean, we're the nation of Israel. We have the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. and No, we have shepherds. We're good. But Jesus could see what they couldn't see. He could see that these people had been mistreated by the Pharisees for so long they never even knew it was toxic. They just thought this is the way you're supposed to be treated. They're supposed to be pushed around, bossed around, mistreated, harassed and helpless. This is just the air that I breathe. I guess this is the way every spiritual leader is supposed to treat me. And Jesus comes up and says, no. No, those are not shepherds. Those are thieves and robbers. They're out to get you. Then he moves on in John chapter 10. And he says, I want to go ahead and tell you, those Pharisees, those are the thieves and robbers, but they're actually driven by a thief. And I want to tell you about them. Let's keep on reading the passage. John chapter 10, moving on to verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And that one statement, that one verse 10, that first part, you, you need to memorize verse 10. It says, there's a thief, and notice it's singular. It's not thieves and robbers at this moment. It's a thief. And this thief comes with one purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I, I want to make sure that you don't let this be too ambiguous. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, there's this bad dude in the world causing bad things. No, no, you've got to personalize this. He's coming to steal from you. He's coming to kill you. His goal is to destroy you. In fact, I, I, there's a passage. Keep your place in John 10, but if, if you can get there fast enough, I want you to flip toward the end of the Bible, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It's a verse that I believe many of you actually know already. Digs a little deeper into this thief, this adversary. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You have an adversary that you got to watch out for, and he has a name, the devil, Satan. He's the one who stands against you, your accuser, and he is prowling around right now on this earth seeking someone to devour. And let me tell you who that someone is. That someone is you. He wants to devour you. Now let me tell you about how a lion devours prey. It's not gentle. He doesn't just come and get the jugular and then, oop, you're dead. No, that's not how a lion works. When he gets prey, he rips the prey limb from limb. 
He, he pulls out all the flesh and starts rolling around in the blood. When a lion starts growling, he doesn't do that before the kill. He does that during the kill. It's, a, it's like puffing out your chest. It's a way that he shows his power and authority by devouring the prey. This is how Satan works. He's not gentle when he devours you. He wants to still kill and destroy you. He's after you. And let me go ahead and tell you, he's been doing this for a long, long time. And he's really good at what he does. This is why I said earlier, I'm just, I'm afraid there are some of you and you're in grave danger and you don't even realize it. You're in danger because you don't recognize that this, this way you've been treated your whole life, this toxicity around you is going to kill you and you don't realize that you're vulnerable because you're isolated and alone. So, so here's the number one tactic of Satan. He's a lion, he's a wolf, he's a thief, and he knows he can get you if he can pull you away from the herd and from a shepherd who will care for you. That's, that's his goal. If I can isolate you, if I can pull you out, so there's a sheep pen and there's a shepherd, and as long as I'm in here, shepherd's watching over me, I've got community, I'm okay. But if I wander away from the sheepfold and I'm out in the open country, and a wolf comes or a lion comes, I'm a sitting duck. He can devour me so easily. Now, Satan, he's smart, and he doesn't like, he doesn't like to work any harder than he needs to. And so he's going to try to isolate you so he can pick you off easily. There are three lies that Satan gives you to isolate you. In fact, you may want to write these down. I think this would be good for you to remember Write them in your phone, write them on a piece of paper, grab something. I want you to remember these lies because they're going to come up in your life over and over and over again. You have to be able to spot them as lies. This is how the devil wants to devour you, to isolate you. Lie number one, he wants you to believe that you don't need a shepherd. Go ahead and write that down. He wants you to believe that you don't need a shepherd. Here's what this lie sounds like in your head. You know what, I, I know when I was starting off in the faith that I needed people around me to help me, but you know, I've grown a lot, I'll read the Bible more, I understand so much more, so I think, yeah, yeah, I needed that at the beginning, but I, I think I've kind of grown past that now, I, I don't need it. Let me remind you about something. You will never cease to be a sheep. We're sheep, and when the moment we get out of a shepherd watching over us and get out of the loving care of that flock, the devil can pick us off. The whole point of Jesus going through this saying there is a thief and his goal is to steal, kill, and destroy was to show you that you need a shepherd. Don't believe the lie. There are so many of you, and what you'll say right now, I just don't got time for that, Jason. I mean, there's so many things in my life. I got busyness. My kids got activities. I got work. I got school. Maybe a little bit later on, I just I don't have time for it. Recognize that for what it is. It's a lie. It's not that you don't have time, it's that you don't make time. You have time, you're just letting other things be the priority and by not making time to be in a group with a shepherd who will watch over you, you are saying, I don't need it. That's a lie from the pit of hell. It is a number one way Satan gets you isolated to get you to believe you're past the point where you need a shepherd. You have a thief, you have a lion who's prowling around and he wants to steal, kill and destroy, he wants to devour you, you need a shepherd. Second lie that the enemy wants to give us. It's on the opposite side. So that, the first one was about pride, like I don't need this. The second one, though, is more about uh, low self-esteem and insecurity. It's that the, the Satan, the enemy, he wants me to believe that I don't deserve a shepherd. Go ahead and write that down. First one, he wants me to believe the lie that I don't need a shepherd. The second one, he wants me to believe that I don't deserve a shepherd. 
Here's what I mean by that. There, there are times when we realize, like, I've screwed up this life of mine. No one made this mistake but me. And, and who am I to burden anybody else with my problems? I mean, I can't. I, I, I made my bed. I'm going to have to sleep in it now. This is my problem. I don't need to burden anybody else. I, I don't deserve this. I've got to fight on this thing all, all on my own because it would be unfair for me to call somebody else to have to help me when I cause this problem. Remember what I said at the beginning. What the enemy wants you to believe is that that toxic air you're breathing is what you're supposed to be breathing. That that mistreatment that you receive is what you're supposed to receive because you're not worth anything better. Don't believe the lie and sell yourself short and think that you don't deserve something more because let me go ahead and tell you the truth. You have infinite worth. When you think I don't deserve a shepherd, you're saying I'm not worth it. And that's a lie from the pit of hell because Jesus made you worth it. You're going, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me keep on in the scriptures. As we keep on reading in John chapter 10, move on to verses 11 through 15. See what he says about your worth. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Two times in these verses, Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Let me tell you why he's saying that. He's trying to show you what you're worth. Do you realize that you are worth what someone is willing to pay for you? You know that, right? That's how, that's how value works. I hope you understand this, like economy. Something is worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. So I did a little internet research about something. I was curious. What was the oddest object that had the most value? And I discovered that there's a little piece of cardstock about this big with some ink on it that is worth $2.8 million. Some Yahoo out there actually paid $2.8 million for a little piece of cardstock with some ink on it. And the reason he paid $2.8 million is because it was a 1952 Topps baseball card with Mickey Mantle on it, and he really wanted that baseball card. And so that crazy man paid $2.8 million for a little piece of paper to be in his little collection of cards. Now, it doesn't matter that that card is actually worth a few cents of paper and ink. It is now worth $2.8 million because somebody paid $2.8 million for that baseball card. An object is worth what somebody is willing to pay for it. And you go, okay, why does that matter? Well, let me go ahead and make this clear in case you didn't know. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid the highest price for you. He gave up every bit of himself, was sacrificed on a cross, gave himself up to the point of death to purchase you. The Scriptures say you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You were purchased. And the purchase price was infinite value. And the moment Jesus purchased you, you now have infinite value. That's what you're worth. Now, I know there's some of you right now, and you're going, oh, Jason, I've heard that before. Now, maybe if he died just for me, then I'd believe that. But didn't he die for everybody? I mean, aren't there like billions of people in the world and maybe trillions over the history of humanity? Like, I'm not special because he died for me. He died for all of us. That makes us all special. But listen, if there are a trillion people and you divided a trillion times, I'm worth like $1. That's, that's what I'm worth. 
Nothing special about me because Christ died for me. So if you ever feel that way, let me go ahead and tell you, it's because you don't understand mathematics. I'm going to give you a little math lesson. So if you divide a trillion, a trillion times, you get one. That's true. But if you divide infinity a trillion times, you know what number you get? Infinity. Doesn't matter how many times you divide infinity, you still get infinity. If you multiply infinity by any number, you get infinity. If you divide infinity by any number, you get infinity. This is why it was so important that Jesus was God in the flesh, because as the Son of God, he has infinite value. Not high value, infinite value. And therefore, when he dies on the cross, he pays an infinite price. So it doesn't matter how many times he splits that among humanity. Every one of us has infinite value, because we have an infinite God who died for us. So that's what you're worth. You are worth infinite value. So anytime that feeling wells up inside of you, you're going, oh, no, nah, I don't deserve it. I'm not worth it. You spit in the face of the devil and you go, that's a lie from the pit of hell. I know what I'm worth because I know who died for me. I know who paid for me. That baseball card may be worth 2.8, but I'm worth infinity. I can, I can keep on going. I'm worth this. Here's what Jesus wants you to know. Please, if you don't hear anything I say, hear this. You are worth being cared for. You are worth being fought for. You are worth somebody dying for you. He just wants you to stand up and say, this is my dignity. Not because of anything you've done, not because you go to church, not because of how you look or how much money you have or how successful you are or aren't. You're worth it because Christ died for you. Don't ever believe a lie that you're not worth it. First two lies. Wants you to believe that you don't need a shepherd. Number two, wants you to believe you don't deserve a shepherd. Lie number three, he wants you to believe that you can't find a shepherd. He wants you to believe that you cannot find a shepherd, at least not on earth, that's going to be like Jesus. He wants you to believe that, yeah, yeah, Jesus is the good shepherd. I know I can trust him, but I'm not going to trust these people around me because ain't none of them like Jesus. And there are some of you, and you've really been burned before by other people. And maybe there was a time when you were in a group with people and you shared something and they rejected you, or maybe they even used it against you. Maybe somebody told somebody else what you shared with them in confidence and it burned you. And all of a sudden you're going, man, I can't trust those people. Maybe you walk around believers and you go, they're a bunch of hypocrites. They're all acting like their life's perfect. I know how screwed up they are. Acting all pure while they're going off watching porn, sleeping around, doing all this other stuff. They, act, they come to church all nice and pretty, but they were drunk the night before. Man, they're a bunch of hypocrites around here. Everybody's so fake. You can't get real with people. And maybe it's because you've genuinely been burned before. And it starts to warp your mind to the place you go, man, I can't find a real shepherd on earth who will care for me and love me the way Jesus does. Listen, I understand we can stare at the brokenness of humanity and recognize how frail we all are, but don't ever forget those of us who believe in Jesus Christ have an infinite spirit inside of us. And it's the very spirit of Jesus Christ. And what's impossible for man is possible with the spirit of Christ inside of us. And God can put his spirit upon the shepherds of this church who lead community, who shepherd them, and they're going to have the very heart of Christ because the spirit of Christ is inside of them. In fact, if you read the Bible, what you see again and again is that Jesus commanded the, those who would lead in the church to shepherd the flock the way he did. When he restored Peter, he said, Peter, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. He was calling Peter to shepherd people the way that he shepherded them. Peter was a human that Jesus called him to shepherd the flock. As you go through the New Testament, you see it again. He says, overseers, shepherd the people. Those of you who've been called to this, shepherd the people. In fact, this calling 
to have human shepherds watch over the flock of God actually came over 500 years before Jesus was ever even born. I want to go to two verses in the Old Testament. We're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. You can keep John 10. This will be uh, kind of crazy hard to find, but Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. This is over 500 years before Jesus, and listen to what it says. This is God talking. He says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Lotus, I will give you shepherds, plural. This is not talking about just the good shepherd, Jesus. It's talking about human beings. I will put shepherds over you, it says, who are after my own heart, who will love you like I love you. Now, the Father's talking here, but remember, Jesus was a perfect reflection of the Father. And the way Jesus loved us is the Father's heart. So when he says, I'm going to put shepherds over you who love you like I love you, this is talking about a shepherd who will care for you, who will fight for you, who will lay down his life for you. There are humans who can do that because of the Spirit of Christ. In fact, he defines it a little bit later in the book of Jeremiah. If you were to go to 23, chapter 23, verse 4, listen to this verse. Again, God is speaking. He says, I will set shepherds over them, talking about his people, who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. I will set shepherds, again, plural, over them. And when I set my shepherds over them, these shepherds will care for them. These shepherds will fight for them so they're no longer afraid or dismayed. These shepherds will run after them so there's not a single one missing. He's referring to human beings here when he says shepherds with an S. Don't believe the lie that in this broken community of faith, you're never going to find a shepherd who will love you like Jesus. You can because the Spirit of Christ makes people capable. All you have to do is trust that what God's Word says is true. And so today, I want to call some of you to step into this. I want to call some of you to step into a relationship where you have a, a flock with a shepherd who will care for you, protect you, love you, pray for you, fight for you because you deserve it, because you need it, because you can find it. Now, right about now, there are some of you, and you're going, hey, Jason, I've been coming here for a few months. Didn't you preach the same message back in January? Some of you right now are going, oh, pobrecito, he preached the same message on accident. Poor guy. And uh, I want you to know, uh, yes, I did preach this exact same message, maybe a slightly different text, but the same message back in January, January 8th. And uh, it's not a mistake that I'm preaching it again. I'm preaching it again because you didn't do what I said back in January 8th. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what I mean by that. Back then, we had about 48% of our normal Sunday morning attendants that were connected to a community with a shepherd. We had hundreds of people fill out a form and sign up, and we got a few of them connected. And we moved the needle all the way from 48% to 52%. And praise God, that's a 4%. Rock on. That still means... About half of you right now are at a position where you are incredibly vulnerable. You have a lion and you are outside and you've got no shepherd to watch out for you right now. And you are easy pickings for the enemy. And I made a commitment to you. And I'm going to live up to that commitment. I committed to you back on January 8th. I said, I'm going to fight harder for your good than hell is going to fight for your destruction. And so I cannot sleep at night without tossing and turning when the church still hovers around 50% of the people who are not connected to community. So guess what I'm going to keep on doing? I'm going to keep on preaching the same message over and over and over. So go ahead and do me a favor. Save yourself and me a whole lot of struggle and just say yes today. 
That's what I'm asking you to do, to say, okay, I, I, I recognize I need this. And, and I think I'm going to change tactics a little bit this morning. I think maybe what we did wrong last time was we had you fill out a form and we followed up and it's just the back and forth made it kind of hard to get into a group. So we're going to take a totally different approach this morning. We're actually going to form groups this very morning. The reason the sermon is at the beginning of the service, we still got time, you ain't got nowhere else to be, you're going to be here with us, is I'm going to call you forward in just a moment and those of you who are willing to be bold enough to come forward with me are going to walk out of the room and you're going to get to start forming groups, meeting some new people. You're going to exchange some information and bam, this morning, you're going to have a brand new group. But it's going to take a step of faith and it's going to take some shepherds. Yeah, don't applaud quite yet because maybe you coming down here. Now, I know, I know we have some shepherds in the room that have been prepared for this. So if you are one of the shepherds that have been uh, prepared for this and, and called out for this, that the, the discipleship team has been communicating with, I'd love for you to stand up and come down here with me right now. And these are shepherds right now who know this call, and they're either launching existing groups or they are uh, starting brand new groups. Can we give a hand to these people who are willing to step into this? They're making their way forward right now because they want to serve you. And here how, here's how this is going to work. In just a moment, we're going to see who comes forward during this next song. And when we do that, and when we see, and when the Lord is done bringing people forward, then this group is going to go marching out over there, and then you're going to be able to split up into the different groups based on either age or affinity or however you want to split up. Or maybe you're going, I don't know, just tell me where to go. We'll, we'll put you in with a group, and we'll launch a group. You'll get to know the shepherd, and you'll exchange information and then you're going to have a chance just to be together, get to know each other, maybe pray. And then you'll be back in the service before it ends. You'll be, so you're not going to have any additional time. Everything's going to be just fine. You're going to have an opportunity to respond while everybody else is in the room continuing on with worship. But right now is going to be a moment where we're going to invite you to come forth. So I want to invite you all to stand up right now if you don't mind. And here's what I'm asking. Oh, the only reason I'm asking you to respond right now is to say I'm ready for a group. If you need prayer or if you need to place your faith in Christ, that's going to come in a little bit. Don't worry about that quite yet. This is for those of you saying, okay, I've been holding off. Maybe I've just been dragging my feet, but I, the Spirit's been speaking to me. I know I need to have a community with a shepherd. Uh, I know that I, I'm worth it. I deserve this. I know I can find it. These people aren't perfect, but they have the Spirit of Christ in them, and I'm ready to go with them. You're going to have to be bold. So I'm going to invite you right now, if you are willing to take the step of faith, I invite you to come down here with us and say, I'm ready to take this moment to form into some new groups to be part of this. You come on down.
Listen, I know we have a number of people who are down front, and uh, we're going we're gonna to keep singing, but I, I want to keep waiting. There's some of you going, oh, it looks full. Maybe I don't have any space for me to come. We're going to wait a little bit longer. We're just going to congregate down front because I know, again, half the church isn't, isn't connected. That means in this room there are hundreds. And so I'm, we're going to wait just a little bit longer while we continue to sing. If you need to come, there's a war, but you can win the war just by slipping out. You're going to come wait with us for just one moment. And then when the song is over, you'll have a chance to go out and get connected. But if you need to come, you come on down. still going to have some more time of worship, but I want to give a chance for you guys to start making connections over the next 15 or so minutes. So if those of you who are shepherds, Larry Dan's going to lead the way. You guys just go ahead and start filing on out. we got tables for you, chairs for you to sit on. You'll be back in by the end of the service, so you don't worry about that, but you guys go ahead and start making your way on out. Bo, I'm going to have you keep on going over there. Now, can we give a hand to these people who have responded in boldness? Fong, I'm going to go ahead and have you head on out. Somebody give Fong a kick right now. Come on. You know, when he's ministering to people, he doesn't want to stop. I get it. Oh, praise God. Listen, while they're, while they're walking out, we still got some things that God wants to do inside the room here. So just because you're not going with them right now, maybe you're already in a group and you don't need it. Uh, maybe this isn't the time right now. The Lord is asking you to do this particular thing. That's okay. I still believe God wants to do something in those of you who are here. So before we, we keep on singing, we got another 15 minutes of worship ahead of us. We got time for us to sing to the Lord, but we also have time to respond. So here's what I want you to hear. There are some of you in this room right now, and what you most need is prayer. Maybe when I was talking about the fact that some of you, like Jesus, when he looked out, he saw sheep who were harassed and helpless who didn't have a shepherd, you really resonated with that harassed and helpless part. You're like, I feel that way. I feel helpless right now. I feel overwhelmed by life. You were talking about people being mistreated. Jason, you were, you were reading my mail right there. That's me. I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know what to do. Let me remind you, you have a good shepherd and he wants you to bring your needs before him because he can do something for you. And let me tell you about our good shepherd. 
he is also the great high priest. And that means he can take your need before the Father of power. But you gotta come. We're gonna have prayer team members. In fact, I wanna invite the prayer team members down front right now, those who are left in here. We're gonna spread out and the staff who are here. We're gonna be ready to receive you and to pray for you. Maybe you don't need us to pray for you. It's okay. If you wanna just come bow down at the steps, you can do that as well. And that'll be a chance for you to take your need before the Father. But you're going to start with your great high priest and your good shepherd. He doesn't want you to be harassed and helpless. He wants to care for you and love you and shepherd you. But you got to come and take your need before him. But there's one last thing I want to say before I open up this time of worship. There are some of you, and I believe the good shepherd may be calling you into his fold. There's one last verse. They, they stole my Bible, so I'm going to have to take it from my phone. But John chapter 10, verse 16. It says this, Jesus says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Let me tell you what Jesus as the good shepherd is always doing. He's calling more sheep into his fold. Just because you're here this morning does not mean that you are in his fold. Just because you were raised by Christian parents does not mean you are a part of his fold. There are sheep who are outside the family, outside the fold that he's going, but I'm calling you. I want you to come. And I believe this morning, Jesus is calling some of you. He's, he's calling you to come into the fold and he wants you to hear his voice. And maybe you're going, well, Jason, what does the voice of, of the good shepherd sound like? Well, it's not typically audible. Let me tell you what it sounds like. It sounds like a weird feeling you have in the pit of your stomach. Well, you're starting to get a little warm. Maybe you're sweating a little bit. And you're going, is, is it hot in here? What's going on? It's starting to feel like tingly. Maybe like there's a spotlight on you and you're like, is, am I the only one left in this room right now? Why is Jason talking just to me? Like it's not me talking to you. It's the spirit of God talking to you. It's the voice of the good shepherd calling you. And the worst thing you can do when you hear the good shepherd call you is to ignore his voice. He's calling you to himself. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. I, I want to heal you. He says, yeah, there's a thief who comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I've come that you, you may have life and have it abundantly. And there are some of you who are not living the abundant life, and Jesus is offering it to you. He's calling you. But you've got to believe him enough to come. Look, every Sunday we have people who need to respond to faith. You go, what does that look like, Jason? I want to. What does that look like? It means you just say, okay, I realize I don't deserve the love of the good shepherd. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. But I ask him to forgive me. And I say, you be my shepherd, Jesus. You be my master and my Lord. I give myself to you. And when you say that to him, he takes over your life. And you actually have a chance today, if you would so choose, to come up into this baptistry at the end of the service. And some people may be leaving, but you can hang around. You can get changed into a Jesus in my place t-shirt, put on some shorts, and you can see a picture of the old you with the old life dead and buried and a brand new you coming out who lives the abundant life. If you're hungry for it, if you're hearing his voice, then you just come let us know. What we'll do is we'll, we'll take you, we'll counsel with you to make sure you understand the gospel because we don't want to baptize anybody who doesn't understand the gospel. But when you understand the message of the gospel and today's your day, my brother Mark Cooper always says, today's a great day to be baptized. I believe that to be true for some of you. If today you need to take that step of faith, don't wait. If you hear his voice, respond. If you need prayer, 
If you need to put your faith in Christ, we're ready to meet with you. You come as you need to. It's open. The rest of you continue to worship the Lord in song.